Good morning and welcome to Health Watch. I'm Dr. David Naiman, your host. Today's guest is Diana Beresford Kroger. Beresford Kroger is a botanist, medical and agricultural researcher, lecturer, and self-defined renegade scientist in the fields of classical botany and medical, organic, and nuclear chemistry. She's the author of, among other books, The Arboretum Borealis and The Global Forest. And she's here today on Health Watch to talk about the medicinal, environmental, and nutritional properties of trees. Welcome to Health Watch, Diana. Uh, thank you, David. It's lovely to to hear a voice from the West Coast. <laughs> thank you. Well, let's. Th- my first question is, yeah. why why did you choose to focus on trees in particular versus other organisms in the plant world? Um, trees are really the kings of the world uh, in the sense that trees are the um, the the peak of what creation can do by way of the plant kingdom. Um, there is really nothing better than a flowering tree. Creation has not produced anything right now better than a flowering tree, and those are our forests, and those are the things that we're cutting down on a daily basis. And I am very, um, I'm somewhat worried about the fact that our global forests are going down, and that means the carbon dioxide level of the atmosphere is going go- going up in a concomitant way. So you take down the the, um, the trees that actually sequester and drink carbon dioxide, you cut them down, you cut the factory down, and then you shouldn't be surprised that there is a vast amount of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. Well, it's interesting, in, in your book, The Global Forest, you cite the statistic that in 1950, about 30% of the globe was covered in forest, and now it's about 5%. Yeah. And it was interesting that you actually talked about... Um, one of the effects, I mean, we always hear about the, the effect of um, the loss of forests um, also being the loss of a carbon dioxide sink so that we, have a, uh, we can stave off global warming. But you also talk about plant hormones that, from deforestation that end up in the drinking water. Could you talk a little bit about that? Yes. I mean, uh, you know, uh, what is really happening? I would ask your listeners to do a little little experiment for a minute and actually hold your breath for a few minutes. And in holding your breath, I want you, think, want you to think about the oxygen that's going into your lungs. Where is that oxygen coming from? It's coming from the great forests of the world, half of it from the great forests of the world, and the other half from the oceans. There is no other oxygen generator on this planet. I mean, we're getting confused about carbon dioxide, but oxygen is what you and I, actually, David, you and I, as we're speaking right now, need, because we are aerobic animals, and we need oxygen into our lungs. And so that's one experiment that our uh, our, our readers can do. But the other thing that's happening is that about... 50 to 60 percent, if not more, of the medicines of the world come from the base of trees. The ancient knowledge, the ancient folkloric knowledge of the world comes from trees. And we're cutting them all down. And what we are doing is that in the trees we have the same hormonal capacity within a tree as we have within the human body. And in the retting action of making paper, it's going into the water of our lakes and our rivers and our, indeed of, of our oceans. And when we clean so-called potable water, these xenochemicals are still there, as are our medicines, as are our health, as are our, all of our hormonal compounds. 
they're in the water. All we can do is take the bacteria out of the water, but we're not taking these things out of the water. So we're increasing, actually, the menopausal rate of people with menopause. We're increasing the problems with children who are teenagers. We're increasing their, their xenochemical ratio going into their bodies. And, you know, we shouldn't be really surprised that that there are children are getting quite frantic and have anxiety disorders and, and have a lot of problems. It is because of what we have done to them. Well, it's a, it's a good point that you mentioned that um, one of the, the side effects of cutting down all the trees is, is a loss of a lot of wisdom around medicine. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't think a lot of people realize how much of our medicine still originally comes from plant material. Yeah. And, you know, another thing, David, too, that's happening really is we're finding there's an urbanization of the world. We're on approximately 50-50 ratio now. We're 50% of the, what is it, 7 billion or so people in the world are in cities and the other 50 are in, in the countryside. And what's happened is the people who have gone into the cities, their grandmothers are too far away from them. Their great grandmothers are dead. And so the language of the wild woods, the language of nature is no longer passed on to the people in the cities. And indeed, as well as that, we have the birth control pill. And the birth control pill has extended the timing of birthing for lots of women across the world. And it means that a mom is a 40-year-old, 42, even a 45-year-old mom, and her mother is quite often dead. So the knowledge from mothers to grandparents no longer happens anymore. So we're losing lots and lots and lots of wisdom. Well, here, here in Portland, we, we have a lot of um, efforts going on to forest the city. And I know you talk about in the global forest the um, the local effects of planting trees. That there's not just a a global effect, but actually having trees in your yard or in your city can actually um, have health benefits. Can you talk about some of those? Oh, I would love to, and I I would love to sometime sometime visit Portland. I haven't been there. I would love to go. I've gone up north of you, but I would yes, love somebody invite me. I'd love to go. <laughs> in in your city, you have the potential for being the first green city in the world. You have the potential for putting in fir trees and hemlocks and the heterophylla hemlocks and the wonderful, wonderful macrophyllums, the acers, the, the, the maples that you have here. Um, and what these trees do is something fantastic for, for the population in Portland is that they, they liberate pinene compounds into the air. In specific, they, they liberate beta pinene into the air. And it is an aerosol. It's also an antibiotic. It is also antiseptic, and it is a disinfectant into the air in, in extraordinary volumes into the air. And what this does is it is a fat-soluble aerosol, and it goes into the neural pathways of children in particular. And if you take a growing child with a high metabolic rate into the pine woods, into the evergreen forests and the evergreen areas around your city, or even plant them within the city folds itself, you have smarter children, children with a higher IQ who are better able to focus on their work. We're talking today with Diana Beresford Kroger, a botanist and the author of The Global Forest. You're listening to Health Watch. Uh, you also mentioned how having a tree and uh, a large canopied tree in at your house can actually absorb uh, a considerable amount of uh, air pollution. Oh, yes, yes. 
Now, in particular for you, the, the, your Oregon maple would be a good choice. I'm just fingerprinting one of those for you. In, in, and you can have various sizes of trees, but in the maple, for instance, you have on the underparts of the leaf of the maple, you have, uh, you have glandular tissue called trichomal hairs. And the trichomal hairs actually act as a comb, and they brush the air free of pollution. And the pollution that really is a toxic form of pollution, and please be alert to something that is happening in Japan right now. You have iodine-131 coming across the ocean to Oregon. And iodine-131 is included in this, and maybe a bit of vanadium, and maybe a bit of strontium as, as, a, a, as a, um, a, a plutonium product coming into your area. And these trees will brush this 2.5 micron pollution out of the air and brush it down the sides of the trees, down it'll get flushed with rain into the, mic uh, into the mycorrhizal area at the root zone of growing of the tree and will decontaminate the air. But let me tell you what this 2.5 uh, micron uh, pollution does. It is a product, really, of explosions. It is a product of vehicular traffic. It's a product, really, of, in some ways, normal living. But it, it is found to get into the lungs, and it is found to get into the breathing areas of the body, and it causes an anti-inflammatory reaction at the surface of the lungs. And that is why we have so many people with an increased ratio of asthma. But now, let me just say one thing that you can do, the gardeners and the people who are growing things in, in Oregon, what you can do is please grow in your garden Monarda didyma. It is called BBAM. And have a little bit of that in your garden and work around with that in your garden and it opens up the bronchi, the breathing bronchi of the lungs, and it allows you to breathe out this 2.5 microns. And in Arboretum Borealis, your um, really beautifully photographed book, you, um, you talk about several species that are, are native to Oregon also, um, service berries and fir and red, red twig dogwood. And um, could you talk a, a little bit about a couple that would be uh, good to have uh, in an urban garden that might have some medicinal properties? Oh, absolutely, yes. Now, for, for, for the people who are listening and who are saying, oh, gosh, I only have a small garden or I only have a small little area. Now, remember, of all of the species that you have in Oregon, there are also miniature versions of these plants. So go into your nurserymen and ask them for, let's say, for instance, a miniature version of a maple or a fir. They're all available to you. You don't have to plant a great big tree. And so ask for the fastigate, that is the columnar forms of trees, and you can pop one of those into any of your gardens. So let's look at the fir, for starters, because that is a very important tree for you because it's actually a, a tree that grooms the atmosphere as well. And that produces the pinene compounds and it produces a boronyl acetate um, form of aerosol which goes up into the air and it has antibacterial properties. So if you have that in your garden and you have dogs and cats and children and the huge, you know, the usual palaver of having a family, it is actually a healthy thing for you to do to have these trees producing natural antibiotics that actually groom your own tissues as you're living. 
Well, you have a you have a plan, Diana. Around I mean, a lot of your focus, like I see, is around trying to reforest the globe, and and yeah. you have a plan called the Bio Plan. And yeah. I was hoping you could share with our listeners maybe a brief summary of of what that entails, and and also how people could be involved in that. Oh yes, absolutely, absolutely, David. My idea is that our politicians will not do anything for us. Um, We, as people of the planet, have to hold hands across the planet, and we have to use our brains. And for the first time in the history of the world, we can actually do this. So I ask all of you to be my ambassadors for the forest. I ask you to protect the forest that's around you, because if in doing so, you will protect your children and your grandchildren. And please keep those forests standing and plant them in. And the concept of the bio plan is to plant a tree in every garden or plant a couple of trees in every garden. And by doing so, if you plant your native trees in your native areas, you actually put in food baskets for all of the migratory songbirds and for all of the migratory butterflies that are coming and going into your area. And by doing so, all of us across the planet can replant the forests of the world. Therefore, what we can do is very simply, very cheaply, we can sequester carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere. We can guard our forests so that that factory of sequestration continues to do so and continues to pump oxygen into our planet for our own lives. And if we all do that together, we all together will save the planet. It was interesting that you also mentioned in the book about uh, planting tree, the importance of planting trees at, in farms. I mean, you very rarely now see trees in in farmland, and I was curious yeah. what role would the trees play for the farmer. Oh well, good heavens! You know, for the farmers, the farmers are on their knees. The farmers are having a really hard time all across the world, and so it's a new idea to look at rather than genetically modified food. Let us think a little differently. Let us put in two-tier agriculture and let the farmers put in a bioplan. For instance, in your area, they could put in the oaks, and the oaks are very much needed all across the planet for the new vine industry that we have. Um, the grapes are growing at tremendous rates all across America, and they require to have to be to be cradled in oak as they mature, and all of the wines and the spirits require to be cradled in oak. You're importing the oak. Why can't the farmers put in oak and maybe two or three acres of oak and sell the oak, sell part of the oak? It's a cash crop for them. And why can't they put in nut trees and put the nut trees in their fences so they double the cash that they're getting from the fields in the form of nuts for the vegetarian market. I mean, it's a matter of thinking differently. And as a matter of fact, while you're thinking about that, the shells of the shocked um, um, nut trees are, are used for cleaning buildings, are used for all kinds of things industrially. And it's a natural way of doing things. It's a natural way of getting primary proteins on the continent. And by the way, these trees were called anti-famine trees in the past, and they kept all the people in North America alive once upon a time when famine raised its head on this continent. Well, it would seem also that to solve the the deforestation problem, we would want to start looking at some non-tree sources for paper. Do you talk about that in the global forest, about um, finding other ways to create paper for people? Well, yes. I mean, listen to me now. 
in, David, what they're doing in Canada is looking at the hibiscus as a source of, of paper. I mean, I can't imagine anything more dumb than that. But we have marijuana. We have the very the cannabis form of, of, of that species that will grow on the toughest, roughest, meanest ground, and it produces the best form of paper. Why can't we have the farmers growing that? We had a huge experiment here in Canada doing it, and what happened is the cannabis resin destroyed some of the, the, the tractors where they were harvesting it. But it's an awfully simple thing to do, is to put a non-polar compound in and to wash that stuff off the tractor. But nobody even bothered. And that would be eternal paper. Let's say, for instance, if you had the hemp paper, which could be grown across this continent and would make our farmers rich again. It could be recycled and recycled and recycled and recycled because the, the, the paper itself, the fibers in that paper are so tough, nobody can tear them apart, and they're good enough even for clothing. So is, was the attempt in Canada to do paper from hemp, was that, yeah. is that now considered a failure because of the problems they had with the machinery? Exactly, exactly. And all we need is some of the kids out of university, some of those smart engineers that we have. Oh, for heaven's sake, if we send man to the moon, we can send man to clean up a tractor. It was very uh, enlightening for me uh, reading about what you call the invisible forest of the ocean. When we hear about global warming, we hear almost entirely about the the land forests. And and you say that the invisible forests of the ocean actually uh, produce 50% of the oxygen for the planet. Could you tell us what that forest is? If you turn around and you look out to the great seas that are around you, you have the wonderful, wonderful Pacific Ocean. As you're looking at that ocean, out towards the ocean, you have great columns of cyanophyta going down about 200 meters in the ocean. These are the feeding food chains of the ocean. And the cyanophyta are the marvelous, well, we don't even know if they're bacteria, we don't even know if they're blue-green algae. Personally, as a botanist, I call them the blue-green algae because they can actually move their, their eyes, if you want to look at it that way, towards light. They are photosynthetic bacteria, photosynthetic algae. And they do extraordinary things. They pull in carbon dioxide out of the air and they evolve oxygen. It's the oxygen in the water that makes the fish live and makes the great mammals of the sea live. But the cyanophyta in those great columns in the sea depends on all of the trees around you. All of the trees around you are lean and mean and live on an acidic soil in Oregon and all of the West Coast. And what, they, what the, the soil does, produces a, it produces a plume of very, very low-level nitrogen going out into the sea. That's the feeding nitrogen that goes into the sea and feeds the cyanophyta at night. And at night, the nitrogenase enzymes come out and work on the nitrogen to build protein. So what happens if you have too much nitrogen is these produce an algal bloom. They grow and grow and grow and grow, and they're toxic. And what happens is underneath the algal blooms, you have bacteriophages that eat up the the, um, cyanophyta, and they pull out all the oxygen out of the ocean and form vast areas of graveyards called hypoxic areas. So the link of the great seas to the trees is true. 
Well, you you talk about the that link and and that the algae bloom that you're talking about, the toxic yeah. algae bloom, is that a result directly of deforestation then from um, tr- deforestation yeah. on the land? Yes, it's a result of that. And it's also a result of farming, and it's also a result of the abuse of the land. It's all tied together. So when, when you mentioned that at the beginning of the program about the loss of medicinal wisdom with the loss of our forests, and I yes. think you quote that about half of our medicines today still come from plants. Yes. Um, you also talk in the Global Forest about um, how mammals and birds use the medicines of the forest and, and potentially the medicines in our own backyards. Could you, could you cite some examples of that? Oh, yes, I would love to. Um, now, if you have a dog or if you have a cat right now, and your dog and your cat starts rolling on the ground and rolling on the grass. What you have is the, the chloroplast, the chlorophyll of the grass, which is equivalent to the same chlorophyll of the trees, it goes on the surface of your doggy puss or your catty puss. It's a cleansing agent. Or even if you have a horse, if you've got a bunch of horses, they'll always roll around, and that's what they're doing. They're cleaning themselves. So the... The chlorophyll of all systems is a cleaning system. That's, and what about with birds? I know that a, a lot of birds are probably selectively picking what they're eating for, for specific um, uh, medicinal yes. property. Yes, especially on, the, on where you are right now. You really are a breadbasket of migration between the south, the southern states, and between the north of Alaska. And what the birds do is they come in and they eat all of the different service berries that you have there, the blue-buried, um, blue-buried blueberries, service berries, all the blue species of fruit that you have. And what they do, that has a ramnose sugar in it. And the ramnose sugar helps the vision of the birds at night from light to dark and from dark to night. The birds have to have extraordinary acuity to do all of the... the the pesticide patrol that they do on trees, and that's how they get it. So, Diana, unfortunately, we, we only have a couple more minutes, but I was if people are interested in getting involved on more of an organizational, organizational or political yes. level around uh, reforestation, is, are there some places you would yes. point to? Yes. Ask, ask your, your listeners to look up www.ancient... No, our, so, sorry, www. Archangel, ancient tree archive dot org. Ar- Archangel, ancient tree, ancient tree archive archive dot org. Dot org. And I am setting up a living library of all of the major trees of the planet, the grandmother and grandfather trees of the planet, to replant the global forests. And it's on its way. And look up that link, and you will find fantastic things that we're doing for the West Coast. And do you have any final thoughts for our listeners today? Yes, I do. All of our listeners, including you, David, please be an ambassador for the forest. Please stand and be an ambassador, because that's what all of the Aboriginal people have done in the past. They have a covenant with nature, and I'm asking all the listeners again to have a covenant with nature and to look at nature with compassion in their eyes, because we do need it very, very much, much more so today than than we did yesterday, because greed is on the planet. Thanks for being on Health Watch today, Diana. Oh, it's my pleasure, David.
We were talking today with Diana Beresford Kroger, the author of Arboretum Borealis and the Global Forest. Stay tuned for the rest of the Monday morning radio zine. Next up is Madness Radio, hosted by Will Hall. And um, you'll listen to the voices and visions from outside mental health.